There are three scenarios in which it can be easy for our piano students, if unequipped, to find themselves experiencing a moment of either shyness, terror, embarrassment, or shame. All three scenarios involve being put on the spot and an assumption by another that since the student takes piano lessons, they should be able to do these things. Unfortunately, this isn't always the case. These moments, while seemingly small, can have a lasting impact on the student, leaving feelings of inadequacy and lack of confidence. It doesn't have to be that way, though. Can you guess what these three things are? The first we've talked about before on this podcast, and that's being able to play Happy Birthday. You can find more on how to help your students learn to play the tune in episode 34. The second is to be able to play something, anything, when requested in an informal setting when they don't have any music with them. We can equip our students for this scenario in two ways, by teaching improvisation and having them always keep a bank of polished pieces they can play by memory. Call them what you like, but one of the best labels I've heard these called are anywhere, anytime pieces. While the third scenario is probably the least likely to occur of the three, if it's going to happen, it will occur at a specific time of year that's just around the corner. I'm not just talking about playing Christmas songs for people, but with people, sing-along style. Christmas music is one genre that can easily give even non-singers the singing bug. Singing well-known tunes together is a beautiful thing and a whole topic in and of itself. If and when the opportunity arises, how cool would it be for your student to have the confidence to play along on the piano when someone at the holiday party wants to jump into a spontaneous round of their favorites like Jingle Bells or Silent Night? In today's episode, we're going to talk about the how-to behind equipping our students for special moments like these and in turn, building their confidence as a pianist for life. Welcome to the Piano Pantry Podcast. This podcast is brought to you every week by me, your host, Amy Chaplin. While I've only been in your ears since January of 2022, the Piano Pantry blog has been supporting teachers since 2016. If you're enjoying this ad-free content and would like to show support, you can now join me on Patreon. I wanted to give a shout out to supporter Mary Woods. As an insider, Mary gets access to a monthly Zoom meeting where together we tackle our email inboxes so that we feel peace of mind and breathing room to focus our energies on teaching the rest of the month. If you want in on this, join now as our first meeting is the day after this episode drops, Wednesday, October 25th. Find the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. Around mid-September, I approach all my students and ask if they would like to learn any Christmas music. While it might be easy to assume everyone wants to play Christmas music, that's not always the case. It could be for religious reasons or just because they're not that keen on Christmas music, whether it's sacred or popular. The next question I ask is if they want to have one good Christmas challenge piece or if they want to play lots of Christmas tunes. 
While it's not always the case, it seems like it's usually the younger students who have only been in lessons a couple of years that want to play as many as they can. I haven't always approached it like this, but more recently, I've been surprised by the number of students who say they would prefer to learn one challenging arrangement than a bunch of Christmas songs. This could just be the season my studio is in, with most students being in lessons for more than five years. The third question they get from me is if they have a particular song request. It's better to know before I start looking for arrangements what tune they're most excited to play. Once everyone gets started on their one big Christmas arrangement in early October, or maybe a little later for younger students after that, um, additional pieces are approached in a more by-ear manner alongside chord charts and sometimes lead sheets even if they've told me that they only wanted to learn one big Christmas tune. If you're not sure what the difference is, a lead sheet includes the melodic line only and has a chord written above the single line staff that can be used to create your own left-hand accompaniment. A chord chart only contains lyrics and chords. If you don't already know a tune, it can be hard to play from a chord chart because there's no additional information regarding the melody. If you're playing from a chord chart, you can pick out the melody on your own and play it in the right hand while adding chord patterns in the left, or play chord patterns between both hands while singing the melody. The latter is what we're covering today. I'm going to walk you through a few basic accompaniment variations that can be used somewhat progressively with students, although it's not an exact ladder. For the sake of time, I'll just be demonstrating the first two lines of Up on the Housetop in C major, which only uses the one, four, and five primary chords. The first thing we always talk about is what meter a song is in. We find and feel the big pulse and then the little pulse as we sing the tune. If the big beat is divided into twos, it's in duple meter. If it's divided into three, it's in triple. Up on the housetop is in duple. We would also identify if the tune is major or minor, and then find the resting tone of the song followed by the starting pitch. So we would sing through the song a bit. And then I might tell the student to just continue singing it in their head and then to sing what note sounds like the resting sound. So as you get to the end, Bum, bum, bum. So there's the resting sound of the song. And then we start the song on. Bum, bum, ba, da, dum, bum. All right, is that the resting sound? Do. No, it is not. Is it do, me, or so? It's so. Bum, ba, da, dum, bum. So next, we determine the key that we're going to play the tune in. Generally, I always try to pick keys that will be comfortable for people to sing in as well as for the student to play. It wouldn't be very comfortable to sing up on the housetop in the key of G, as it would be very low or very high. We would then identify the chords in the key that we're using, which may be played as full chords in some cases, and sometimes with even just a chord root. While it may not be as pleasing to the student as playing the melody, even beginner students can play a chord root with one hand as a very basic first accompaniment. 
Up on the housetop, reindeer paws. Out jumps good old Santa Claus. The next step might be for them to only play chords in just one hand. Could be the right hand or the left hand, whether that be root position chords or close position inversions, or to just play the chords in the right hand and add a, a chord root or root octave in the left. Up on the housetop, reindeer paws. For a little fuller sound, students might try adding an accompaniment pattern in the left hand, like broken chords or stride bass. Up on the housetop, reindeer paws, out jumps good old Santa Claus. Lastly, older students especially tend to love the sound of octaves, especially in a broken pattern, like a root, fifth, octave. Up on the housetop, reindeer They can also add a little pulse on the right-hand chords to fill in a bit. In this case, I find it helps to have them pulse on the last beat of that chord before going to the next as it gives a sense of propulsion rather than just pulsing on the downbeat. That one might have gone by a little quickly, so just to clarify, you would be playing the chord in the right hand on beat one, one, two, three, four, one, going into the next one. It's such a short little segment that you may not have caught it, so let's listen to that one one more time. Up on the housetop, reindeer paws, out jumps good old Santa Claus. While there is always more that can be done, these are some of the very basic steps to playing chordal accompaniment patterns sing-along style. Don't forget, though, to talk to your students about giving a little intro to the song, which could either be a bold dominant chord with a gesturing breath or the last line of the tune. If you're interested in using this process with your students and having a tool to help you along the way, check out my book, Christmas by Ear, Eight Tunes to Harmonize, available on pianopantry.com. In this book, you'll find eight standard Christmas tunes, including Up on the Housetop, that include only primary chords. The book is flexible in that it can be used as a bit of a workbook in the lesson to guide you and your student through the process of identifying elements mentioned today, like meter, tonality, and starting pitch, as well as the chords of the piece. One thing that makes this book different from others is that the chord charts don't just have chord names written in, but have the functions one, four, five. So together you can determine what key you would like to play in and the chords that will be used. The light chord print means that you can directly pencil in the chord names on top of the function symbols and perhaps learn to play the piece in a couple of different keys. Each piece includes a checklist with various ways students can play the piece, including the ways we talked about today. 
Every tune has both a chord chart and a lead sheet available if your student wants to play the melody rather than just sing along. Again, you can find the link to Christmas by Ear, Eight Tunes to Harmonize in the show notes. At the end of every episode in 2023, I've been sharing one tiny tip. They're entirely random and sometimes have nothing to do with our profession, like today's tip, which is to organize your groceries. Now, I'm not talking about at home, but at the store. As you're grocery shopping, try to keep your cart somewhat organized. Heavy items at the back or the bottom, fragile items like eggs, potato chips, and bread in the child seat area, if it's free, produce items together and away from the meat, boxed items together, and so forth. Not only do I try to keep the cart somewhat organized, but when you check out, I try to keep items grouped on the conveyor belt. This not only helps your checkout person, but makes the unloading at home a little easier as well. Plus, the groceries just look happier on the conveyor belt when they're with their buddies. Setting a bag of frozen peas on top of a cereal box is not a great idea, nor is putting a pound of hamburger next to a bag of open potatoes. If you have a bit of a drive home or an extra errand to run, keeping cold items together helps them from warming too quickly. This is a tip from your organized, food-loving piano teacher friend, Amy Chaplin. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Piano Pantry Amy and on Facebook.